Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome listeners to ADAPT Prevention 365 podcast, where prevention is every day and every way. Today's special episode is a recording from Hot Topic Tuesday's workshop titled Cultural Perspective on Wellness. I'd like to introduce you to Marlon Pascual. He is the community organizer with ADAPT working in Inglewood. In prevention work, uh, we understand that substance abuse is not a standalone issue. Uh, we recognize that substance misuse and abuse is a response that is weak from the complexities of life's experiences, environment, conditions, and emotions. With that in mind, uh, we have a discussion today on cultural perspective on wellness. Uh, indigenous healing traditions meet Western practices. Um, uh, we introduce our guest speaker, uh, Anna Yela Castillo. So this is her background. So Anna Ruth Yela Castillo is a registered associate marriage and family therapist who trained with a specialization in art therapy. She has provided mental health ser uh, services to children, youth, and families, as well as immigrant and homeless populations, as well as survivors of domestic violence within community mental health agencies. For the past 20 years, she has continuously served youth and families in schools, community, and outdoor adventure settings in order to educate and develop young people into leaders in their community. She began as a youth organizer in high school task force at Gardena High School, one of ADAP's community prevention uh, youth leadership organizations. She was politicized, inspired, and empowered uh, to organize and be of service to the community since then. Her personal healing journey began when she found a, a sweat lodge and committed to revive her connection to her ancestors. She is a member of the Native American Church and has sponsored and supported in healing ceremonies. And has become a professional mental health clinician, artist, and healer who bring culturally humble and culturally rooted awareness into therapy sessions. Welcome, Anna. Thank you for accepting our invitation uh, to speak today. Um, if you'd like anything to share or follow up, go ahead. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much to everyone um, in the community prevention team, um, Jeannie, and then um, just the team that supported in, in making this recording happen. Uh, uh, I'm grateful because you guys gave me the opportunity to just like really um, like settle into this into this topic, which is it's always on my mind. But, but the question is like, how do we like focus our energy? So um, I've been enjoying like thinking about this uh, since uh, I was asked. I'll share a little bit about um, about myself in high school task force just because I, I want to connect to um, anybody that's like tuning in um, especially if they're like from the South Bay or Gardena or not but um, but just like for myself my own growth um, I really want to say that when I joined this youth group high school task force while I was in high school um, it became an opportunity to um, to get to know myself in the context of community. Um, and so it was a, a prevention program. Um, and it, I remember we would have like youth retreats 
and uh, I participated in those youth retreats. And for me, it became the first time I was like 17 years old and it became the first time that I got to share, we would call them biographies or autobiographies, our stories. So um, when I heard other people be vulnerable and share their stories, it allowed for me to also do the same. And, um, and that like moved a lot in me of like things that I wanted to address about how I, about my childhood. The other thing that High School Task Force did was that it gave us the opportunity to um, join other youth groups. And, um, and there was this like process where I became politicized. We went to a youth conference and I was introduced for the first time to topics on like environmental racism, um, incarceration or um, mass incarceration. Um, at the time, this was about, um, this was in the 90s. So um, I think, I, I believe it was in 1999, California ended up passing a law, um, either 99 or 2000 that allowed for, for the state of California to incarcerate youth as young as 14 and try them as adults. And uh, at that point, um, I became involved and critical about the criminal justice system and, um, and institutional racism and how it was affecting young people um, in the community I was from. So I was growing up in South Central. I was going to school in Gardena. Uh, my mom worked at a, um, she, she was sewing at a company in Gardena. So I, I had to get a permit from the district so that I can travel and, um, and attend the high school. And uh, so this is, I also mentioned like this is in the 90s, right? So this is like after the uprising um, from the Rodney Keene uh, police brutality that was, that was filmed, right? It was, it was filmed like VHS. And, um, and a lot of, this was like, you know, 20 years ago. And at that time people said, hey, this is not the first time that this has happened but it was one of the first times that it had been recorded. And so um, when there was no accountability by the police department after, the, after they went to court, then the uprising happened. I give that context because um, growing up in South Central, what I then saw was um, very little public spaces that felt safe or the community in general that felt safe. Um, buildings and, and um, empty lots, um, places that had burned down but hadn't been uh, reconstructed at that point. So like money didn't come back um, in that sense for the infrastructure. Um, so it, it affected my sense of safety and well-being in my own community. And, um, and so I had a lot of questions growing up. I had a lot of questions and then um, through the youth leadership group, um, I began to ask and then receive some of those questions. And then I, and then I went to college. <laughs> so that was a whole other process too. So that's a little bit more of my background and my connection um, with ADAP um, because ADAP um, has been sponsoring the, um, those youth groups. Thank you, Anna, for that additional context. I think there's a lot of um, parallels 
what's going on now and things uh, being recorded. Um, I know with uh, a lot of the demonstrations and uh, with the, the virus and staying at home, I think a topic um, uh, maybe we should be talking about is, you know, wellness. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what is wellness to you and how do you see cultural wellness? Yeah, so um, the first time that I looked for um, therapy mm -hmm. was when I was in college. And I want to share this story. Um, I think it ties in. Um, I ended up going to UC Santa Cruz. So I went from South Central to like this liberal beach town, supposed liberal beach town up uh, closer to Northern Cali. And um, it was a complete like cultural like mind shift for me and um and i think for a lot of first generation um students of color when you enter the university system it can be really intimidating and so i wanted to drop out and i had a lot of social anxiety and um and like symptoms of depression at that time i didn't have the language um but i would get like panic attacks and I didn't know what it was. And so something in me said, you need to look for help because this could, this could develop into something more serious. So I took myself to the health center on campus and I like went to go look for a therapist. I went to go ask for a mental health um, therapist. From those initial conversations in therapy, um, what was suggested was that I look for uh, organizations on campus, cultural organizations on campus that could be of support to me. And so it was also very awkward to be in therapy. Um, my therapist at that time was a white woman. And so I, I didn't know how to relate to her. She didn't know how to relate to me, but that was like the one piece that she like, like shared with me. Um, and so I did, I, I paid attention to that because I had had this experience in high school where I was part of a youth group in a community that was supportive of my well-being. So then I looked for the, um, the Chicano Latino Resource Center, um, and then it was connected to other like ethnic student organizations. Um, so like the, Filip the Filipino Student Union, or like the, there was like a, an African black, like student, student center, um, all these different ethnic student orgs that were housed in a place and people were organizing together. And so I, we had a cultural connection, um, a cultural background um, that helped us to, to meet each other. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that, that, that would be like the first time that I really saw how powerful it is to make a connection through, through our cultural awareness or, um, or even like celebration of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd like to, to follow up on that. So, you know, ADAP, we, uh, substance use prevention and other substance use uh, intervention services. So with the therapy, you know, it, it kind of helped you cope, but you needed that connection. How does wellness or um, in your practice, you know, with art therapy or, um, you know, practicing these uh, indigenous healing techniques can help with those in substance abuse or just substance abuse prevention work in general? How 
do you see that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I think there's a, I'm like, how do I bite into that one? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, so for me, full circle, I, I returned to ADAP and then started a youth group under substance abuse prevention. Mm -hmm. um, and part of my um, healing and ability to maintain myself, like when I left college and returned home, was art. I started doing murals. I started painting. When I was doing my art and I was painting, I started to um, specifically like dive deeper into, um, so my family's from Guatemala. So I wanted to make co my connection to like Mayan indigenous culture. So I started reading and like bringing up like, um, like hieroglyphs and wanting to like study and learn and put that in my, in my art to tell a story of, of really my identity. Um, and, and how I was seeing the world. So it, art felt really empowering um, in order for me to, to express my, my history, my culture, um, politically, the way I was thinking. Um, and so I, I brought that aspect into ADAP and I have Jeannie to thank for trusting me that I could bring um, art and media to the high school and use it um, under the guise of substance abuse prevention to like bring young people in and um, and empower them to express themselves creatively, to to make messages, to tell stories of who they were. Um, and we had like I remember we had like a, a fashion show, like they did silk screening. Uh, we did a we printed a magazine. It had poetry. It had art. Um, just we we really used anything that was around us um, at that time, and so um, what what began to happen is that as I built this trust with young people, um, they started opening up to me more, and the stories they were sharing with me was around parents that were incarcerated, um, alcohol alcoholism that they were seeing in their families, um, stories of, of immigration that had been really impactful or had separated their family, um, things related to like poverty. Um, and all these stories were, were, were coming up for, for our youth. And thankfully we had a space to share, you know, we had retreats, we had a space to hold that. Um, as an organizer, as a, as a youth leader, um, I came to a crossroads where I was, um, I asked myself if I had the capacity to really hold all these stories in a, in a responsible manner. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like I needed more training. And that's when I looked into a career in, in mental health. Mm -hmm. So, um, because because all these stories were coming up and they were like intergenerational, you know, like somebody's telling me like my father, my father's locked up. Anna, do you think that they could let him out so he could like see me graduate like high school? And I couldn't give an answer to that, you know. So um, so I it, it took me a little bit of time. I 
I, I left ADAP and went exploring, um, and I ended up in graduate school, and I could bring in art, I could bring in mental health, and I, I was trained to, um, to like more professionally hold that space mm-hmm. in a way that was safer, in a way that then I could trust myself to find answers with others. Um, whether it was like um, mental health issues from substance use or substance use they had seen in the family, um, if they were experimenting, um, and and just had to have those conversations in a more honest way, um, where it was also about, um, uh, what do you call it, Uh, like risk, reducing like risk and harm, Mm -hmm. you know? so it, I, that, that training has become helpful as I've continued to work with young people. Thank you, Anna. Um, I think what, what sticks out to me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is once they're able to express themselves, the youth, they can identify you know, the challenges and, and, and look for, for an organization or a person to look up to or once you start getting education and familiarity, there's something you can refer or, or work with them. So I think expressing themselves is, is, is like creating an avenue almost. Uh, thank you for, for that response. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, we're in the middle of a, a pandemic. Um, most of the schools that believe in California are going to be vir- teaching virtually. Uh, so when we about the youth and young adults, um, how do you see them coping or what challenges they may have and how do they cope with this? Um, you know, being at home is, you know, the, the, the contacts or maybe there's some adverse experiences being at home. And maybe is there an outlet with the cultural connection, uh, whether it's culturally, uh, you know, where, where your family's from, like you said, your, your family's from Guatemala and indigenous roots, or is it culturally like, I'm from Gardena or South Central, and you know we all have experiences. So, if you can speak a little bit on that, I'd greatly appreciate it. Yeah, um, man, I I was like taking in a deep breath because <laughs> I'm. I think it's something different to like be an adult and and like um, have a little have maybe a few more choices around like you know what you get to do in your everyday life, um, even, even with stay at home orders or quarantine. And, uh, I think it's, it's something different for young people who have a whole other set of limitations because of their age. I just, I like, I want, I want to acknowledge that, um, because I've heard, you know, um, like, uh, I have a, a nephew, he's like 15 and he's like, we've never been through this like ever in our lives. And it's like, it's so true. Like no one would never, we have, we have never. And, um, and there's a lot of expectations still that's put on them and on everyone about how we're supposed to perform, how we're supposed to produce, how we're supposed to show up um, academically. Um, and going back to, to, my nephew who was sharing that with me, he's like, teachers don't know that I have to babysit like my, my younger brothers and sisters. And like, you know, like it's not the same when I could be in a classroom 
and like pay attention. And so, and so now all these things are now, you know, maybe we took them for granted before. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I, um, I had that opportunity to hear him out. And I, I, I want to say that first of all, as adults, we should give young people the opportunity to like, to just say it, just, just talk about it. Like, what is it like? I, I don't know what it's like because I'm not in high school. Um, and, and, um, I can't, you know, I could only hear, you know, I can imagine to a certain extent. And so I, I really hope that we get to hold that space. I hope that young people, um, get to find ways of expressing it, um, in ways that are healthy, (laughs) in ways that are safe for them. And so, so returning back to culture, um, if people have the opportunity um, to to connect culturally, uh, it could be through books. It could be through talking with family, uh, maybe grandparents if there's grandparents around, uh, or moms and dads, or you know, and just starting to ask questions if they haven't already shared stories um, about what was it like for them to grow up. Um, uh yeah just just starting there and really starting to see the pieces of like maybe where our parent parents came from and i'm assuming that um i might i might be sharing this with people that are first generation maybe even second generation um youth um that you can you can start to kind of ask for those stories of like where your family comes from and um so much can be uncovered and it can, and it can be really powerful. You know, it was only like a couple years ago that I learned that my great grandmother, um, was a midwife and like all my uncles and aunts, like they were born at home and she caught them. You know, my grandmother birth with, it was my father's mother. And I was like, Whoa, like <laughs> she was a midwife. Um, and uh, and quick segue, you know, uh, almost a year and a half, I, I gave birth to my child at home with a midwife. You know, I did that um, as part of like reconnecting like culturally and not going through a hospital and, and going through the, like that institution for birthing and like really um, decolonizing birth, like birthing the way that women have from a place of, of empowerment. Um, so culture is, is all around us. And I really hope that people can, can dig and access. You could use it in your art. You could use it in your music. You could use it in your poetry, um, in your illustrations to make, I don't know, TikTok videos, something, you know, um, whatever those tools are, um, empower yourself. Thank you. Um, no, I, I appreciate the, Especially the part with the acknowledgement that you know youth, youth of color, or you know in in urban settings that they're expected to produce. You know, like you said, go to school, do their grades, but there's a lot of things they need to cope and manage. And so I appreciate the acknowledgement of that, and you know the need to empower. We can empower through through culture. So thank you, thank you, Anna, for for that response. 
Yeah. Can I add just one more thing? Because you said, you said, what if, um, but what if they're, you know, they're just, you know, from the city um, and they can't trace more from before. Um, we're, we're living in times where there's a lot of cultural production happening mm-hmm. with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, there's really an opening for uh, young people to also be involved and have a say so. And, and art is welcomed and music is welcomed and telling your story is welcomed. Um, so uh, wherever you are right now, whatever that looks like, um, it's, it's, it's valid. Recorded, documented, do a journal, don't share it. Share it later, I don't know, but, but make it so that you can come back to it, you know. Um, and so that would be another, another uh, recommendation to really capture, capture this moment, this movement. Mm-hmm. So I do have uh, another question for you. And I, I, this is more with your practice. So when did you realize that, you know, our therapy blended so well with indigenous healing practices? Um, so we can share the process or how you got to that point, or was it natural, you know, uh, if you can share that with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting you know, um, just how things were set up. But um, when I wanted to be a person that could could be more supportive of somebody's um, like healing journey and their wellness, their mental health. Um, so as I went into graduate school, more opportunities um, came to me um, for me to be more involved in in uh, indigenous uh, like healing ceremonies, mm-hmm. um, so they happened together. They happened simultaneously. I would be in school. You know, uh, I went to Loyola Marymount um, in in LA, and so I would be in school through the week, listening to professors and like hearing all this theory and like you know being trained in mental health and art therapy and then on the weekends I would like take off and I would be with like relatives um Dene relatives in Arizona and like learning from them like hearing their wisdom hearing their stories um about about medicine about traditions about why they believed in in what they believed how they believed in it um so I was I was being nourished um, I was being nourished, um, spiritually with, with, um, what really are these tools for healing? They were, um, these elders in the community that I was connecting to was really, um, showing me by example, what healing looked like, what a journey in sobriety looked like, what kind of support that was needed. Like, because, you know, there's, um, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, unfortunately, like in, in a lot of indigenous communities. So, um, I was, uh, something that happens is that, uh, because for me and my identity, it was important to reconnect to my indigenous self. Um, 
it was in that process that I that I tapped into um, or became adopted into like Native North American indigenous practices and communities. So that's kind of that's kind of that bridge that that was made, um, and that's there. I, I just want to say that it's there, that it's available, um, and you know, like there's people that practice um, danza, you know, and uh, and uh, and that's like another avenue of like really connecting with with your culture. Um, so yeah, so so I was like able to go into sweat lodge and hear people like pray about what they needed to heal on an intergenerational level, things that they were uh, making sense of about how they grew up, um, uh, how colonization had affected their family or separated their family, um, why there had been alcohol abuse in their family, all these, all these stories, um, when we're healing, they need to be voiced. They need to come out. Yeah. Um, it's like you need to let these things be set free. Um, it's like you have to name them. Otherwise, they're, we're carrying them, and they, and they can be heavy. So, um, so I'm trying to go back to your question, but um, it, it, it made sense to me what what I had connected to is indigenous ways of healings that have been here. They, they've been practiced. They have survived um, colonialism or we have adapted, you know, um, to, to the times um, and they still exist and they're still powerful and they're accessible. Right. And, um, and then I was being trained in, in clinical Western, like, like thought and practice of of mental health and wellness so so those things um arrived together for me um and uh and and i knew that that connecting culturally was still a place of power for me so when i show up to the therapy room like all of that is is like present you know and then, of course, like family systems theory, um, cognitive behavioral therapies, like all these other things that I was fortunate enough to be trained in. Damien. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. So you mentioned that healing, you know, you have to speak it. Yeah. It has to be, would you say, from like the inside spoken out or the healings from in, the inside to the outside, like inner to outer? Is that what you were saying? Is that correct? Yes. And sometimes we don't have the words uh, for our experiences or for our feelings. And that's where our therapy can be really powerful mm-hmm. because um, when I use our therapy, it's not about the final piece or the masterpiece or like an end product. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's about the process. And it's about how we engage in creating something that doesn't have words. It's just images and symbols and, and like squares and, and like swirls and blotches and like, and sometimes it's ugly and sometimes it's, it's like amazing. What happens is that you put something on paper first and then 
um, in art therapy, I then invite, you know, somebody, because I'm seeing what they're doing, I then ask them, you know, what it is that they made, why they responded to it, how they did, what, what, what came up for them while they were, while they were drawing. And then I, and then people begin to put words to their experiences. Um, you know, when it comes to surviving trauma, um, there could be a lot of guilt or shame or, um, I mean, trauma, trauma is heavy. And, and art therapy works in a way to really, to hold that. It becomes like a container. The art in itself becomes a container. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then from there, like, we get, to, we get to dive into some of the stories. What's really interesting about art therapy is, is that it becomes, like, documented. Uh, it becomes recorded. And so as I continue providing therapy for somebody, you know, for three months, six months, nine months, et cetera, we can always come back to those drawings, to those stories, and and find patterns and find how like symbolically like things are repeating themselves and um and when and when we become conscious of these patterns then we can make choices about if it's working for us are we going to repeat it or are we going to change it are we going to make peace with these like how are we going to resolve um our pasts or, or our thoughts, you know? So, um, that's, that's kind of, yeah. How art therapy comes in. Uh, really great insight. Um, I think just for, for myself, uh, I think sometimes I, I want the outcome, but to trust a little bit more of the process and then being in there, I, I think that's something I take away from myself. So thank you. Thank you again, Anna, for that. Um, so for everybody, we do have an activity that Anna will give us instructions shortly. But Anna, we have a surprise for you. We have a former <laughs> colleague. Uh, she would like to share uh, something with you. So, uh, Carol, the floor is yours. She's muted. Muted. Hi, Anna. Can you hear me? Can everybody hear me? hi carol hi hi anna do you remember this oh wow yeah that's your family and bella yes and bea and uh, this one the box you gave it to me Mm -hmm. way back in 2007 this was your christmas present to me (laughs) and it has your art in it you know, mm-hmm. and the art is all about nature. And may I just read to you your dedication to me and my daughter, Bea. It says here for Carol and Bea, even at times when you feel the loneliness, remember that you are a star shining among a galaxy of hope. And then it's from Anna in 2007 so <laughs> that more or less define how we are i mean how we relate to each other you know it is all about 
you know, the relationship being rooted in creative expression. I remember I would give you the credit for Yuka, for the name Yuka, which is the name of the youth group in Inglewood. Yeah. And Marlon is now the facilitator of Yuka, and it stands for Youth United in Creative Action. Yeah. So that's how I would remember you and your contribution to community prevention, you know, creative expression. That's how we come up with, you know, that's how we work towards social change towards preventing substance abuse by creative expression. So thank you, Anna. Thank you, Anna, for that contribution. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you. Hi, Carol. It's so, it's so beautiful to see you. And thank you for sharing that, that memory. Yeah. I, I, I am really fortunate to have been a part of the community prevention team. Um, and, and I think the community prevention team is still so lucky and so blessed to have Jeannie, um, you know, lead and supervise us. Um, so yeah, just thank you. I, I always, um, yeah, like a ADAP has always been, uh, like really supportive of, of, I think everybody that we come in contact to really support each other's growth. And ADAP itself, you know, Asian American Drug Abuse Program is an agency, a community agency that began that was culturally rooted, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like we know, we know that our culture has so much power to, to heal and to support our wellness. We know this. Um, so there's like a lot of history within ADAP too. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Carol, uh, for sharing that. Um, you know, thank you, Anna, for what you've done. Uh, Yuka still going on. So, so much mm-hmm. thank you for the name. So, um, Anna, if you can uh, explain the activity we have. So, everybody, if you get a piece of paper, if you don't have paper and you're on your computer, you can split the screens and go to auto draw. So, there's options. So, uh, Anna, go ahead. Okay, yeah, so let's see. I wanted to introduce the concept of the medicine wheel. So, so medicine wheel is, um, is, some, is, is something that is used in, in indigenous cultures. Um, it's a way that, that uh, we get to, to map and, and really acknowledge and honor a whole wealth of of information um and just to start off really simple um it it acknowledges and honors the four directions um east south west north um it acknowledges um uh like uh like children men women elders it um it acknowledges the four elements you know, fire, earth, water, air, um, and uh, and there's a lot of uh, symbology within it. Um, I meant to do this invitation much earlier, and please excuse me, but 
if, if people can find um, paper and a pen or markers or crayons or color pencils, I wanna invite you to create your own medicine wheel. Um, when we think of, of medicine, we can think about medicine as something, you know, that heals us, something that, that nourishes us, something that's good for us. And, um, and so I want us to, the invitation is for people to create their own medicine wheel uh, by using the four directions as, as, a, as a way to holistically think about what we need. So when thinking about the four directions, we could think about the four different aspects of ourselves, and there's more, but there's our physical self, our mental self, spiritual, and emotional. Um, if people don't connect to, to the word spiritual, you could think about like your soul or, um, or, or maybe culturally um, something, the, the higher being that maybe you connect to. Um, so let's see, um, physically, um, I'll, I'll start on that corner. Physically, you can think about this being connected um, to the element of earth. So earth, you can touch, you can feel, you can see. Um, your physical body, you know, like you can feel, like it exists, it is present. Um, and so, um, we use the that direction or or that aspect that element of Earth to think about um, our our physical bodies, and um, and so I'm, I'm going to explain each one, and then um, hopefully give people um, the opportunity to to make notes for themselves. Um, so in so in this one. You can think about things that support you physically. In this example here, nutrition, right? Our, our food, our access to healthy food is important. Exercise, um, they put not having fast foods. I think some of us may understand why. <laughs> Hydration, water, drinking water, so, so important to drink water. Um, Self-care, hygiene, connecting to nature. These are just some examples, but um, if you can start to think about what supports your physical well-being when you create um, the medicine wheel for yourself, um, you can add that in there. So mentally, I'm going to move on to mentally. Um, I would like folks to think about what supports their mental well-being. And this could be, this could be books. Um, this could be games. Um, uh, this could be um, listening to lectures, learning. Here they put um, stimulation, cognitive activities, communication, new learning activities. Um, so this would be an invitation for people to think about what supports their mental well-being, and then they can write or draw or make symbols about about what that looks like for them. Um, the next one, I'm, I'm going clockwise. Um, spiritually, what supports you spiritually? For some people, it's their church group. Um, if you don't go to church, um, like what supports your, your soul or, or your, that, that other um, part of yourself that's more ethereal, perhaps? Um, 
what 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 supports that and uh how do you define for yourself that aspect of your of of it how do you think about its well-being the examples here that they gave was having family um, as support, um, thinking about creator or having a higher power, a meditation and prayer, ceremony, having gratitude. So these are all really great examples. You can use them. You can, of course, create your own about what supports you um, spiritually. And then lastly, but, but also very much important, um, emotionally, um this is uh the examples here of what they wrote supports them uh emotionally is is maybe learning like self-regulation connectedness maybe that means connecting to other people knowing that you're not alone um highs and lows maybe like accepting or knowing that there are highs and lows um in our in our life um, creating boundaries, so uh, being able to identify like what feels good for you, what feels safe, and inviting that into your personal space and those things that are that are not okay um, that you feel uncomfortable with, being able to name that so that you know that you're not going to accept that um, in your personal space. Um, uh, having balance, creating balance. This could be work, life, family, balance. I don't know. Um, there's different things people have in their lives. Um, toxins. I'm unsure what they were referring to, but maybe, um, yeah, maybe uh, preventing or not using toxins, right? So you can create your own um, medicine wheel. Um, I hope people, um, I'm yeah, this is really whatever works for you. Um, I I think I, I, I said something um, in preparation where um, I don't impose anything on people. Um, it's always better when you come up with the answers and the solution yourself. And, and everybody does have them. Um, and so, uh, so hopefully some people, um, some folks like found some things that they can like reconnect to or recommit to um for themselves um so for example i want to recommit to my art um because i have a one-year-old i'm very committed to her (laughs) but i know that for my emotional well-being um i want to connect with my art and a goal that i did for myself because i'm not about to create masterpieces is to is to just if i could just do art every day for 15 minutes just 15 minutes so, so the point is to do things that are like easy and accessible for you, that are realistic for you. Um, yeah, whatever that might look like for you. Small promises that you can keep to yourself. Yeah. Thank you, Anna and Marlon, for being part of today's episode. And thank you, everyone, for listening Please join us every Wednesdays for new episodes at Prevention 365 Podcast on Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V, Spotify, and Apple. You can check out our episodes on youtube.com slash Inc. That's A-A-D-A-P-I-N-C. People need people. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.